and welcome to Unidentified Wargamer. Each week I interview a wargamer and identify them in the hobby. This week I've already interviewed this wargamer, so everyone I'm sure is well aware of who he is. I'm speaking to the wonderful Gabe. How are you going, Gabe? Oh, I'm doing splendidly, mate. How are you? I'm going well. It's been yeah, a long yeah. week, so it's good to uh, finally get on the microphone and have a chat. Absolutely. What's uh, How's your life been treating you? Uh, very busy. I've been a lot of work and a lot of birthdays. Oh, lovely. <laughs> so it's been a very busy weekend in that regard, so it's nice to sort of sit down and relax. How about yourself? Uh, mate, I'm oh, flat out. I've got, uh, yeah, I've got three young kids, so there's never a dull moment. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, weekends are packed, and then and then work has just been, I work in the uh, the air conditioning industry, mm-hmm. and in Queensland, it's, uh, yeah, it's a busy time all year round. So and we especially are, with the old tax time coming around as well. Oh, and... absolutely, yeah. It's just been mayhem. So that's been that's been my challenge at the moment. It's <laughs> <laughs> trying to sort out all these people with their aircon issues as well. Absolutely, sure. absolutely. <laughs> well, I'm sure as people are aware, I've had I gave on before. So if you want to go listen to that episode, I think it was episode two, where I chatted with Gabe all about how he got in the hobby and stuff like that. Uh, so I brought Gabe on to fill in another episode of the mini tournament series I've been doing. Um, so I'm sure to get a bit more enlightenment out of Gabe, especially because he runs something a bit more unique in Australia. Uh, and I think that's actually you, the only person that runs something outside of singles? Uh, currently, I think there's a few doubles tournaments floating around. Um, okay. I know that uh, Ash McEwen, I believe, runs a doubles tournament in Sydney. But... Um, when it comes to team tournaments, I think I'm the only one at the moment. So it's a bit of a unique event in that regard, uh, purely based on the fact that there's only one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think Australia is definitely crying out for some more, that's for sure. When the, Absolutely. Uh, amount yeah. of registration you get for your tournament. Just oh, it shows. Goes, yeah, it goes a bit bananas. <laughs> it's it's yep. one of those things I feel like, um, yeah, last year, I think last year, it sold out some ridiculous number. So last year was pretty high demand. We had a big drought in events because of COVID-19. And uh, in Australia, we had a lot of border closures. Uh, so states couldn't travel between a lot of the time you were confined to, you know, working from home and all that kind of thing. So we'd gone a long time without events and, uh, and, Runax Team Championship is usually uh, held in the first weekend of November and it happened to coincide with borders being opened, restrictions being lifted, and it was just the perfect storm. And so ticket sales went bananas. We sold, I think it was something like 120 players in <laughs> in just under 90 seconds or something ridiculous. And that that number sounds, it sounds a little bit more... Like, it sounds a bit crazy than it is because realistically, these are players sold as, you know, four at a time, basically, because people are buying them as teams. But they flew out the door and we had people lined up on the website ready to go. And it just, uh, yeah, there just wasn't enough to go around. Um, But it was, it showed that there is definitely, one, there's a demand for those big events that people can catch up. You know, it had been a long time since anyone had seen each other, so everyone was keen to catch up. It's also one of those things you there's that FOMO where you don't want to miss out on being a part of one of the big events and, yeah. and somehow through through however it's all fallen into into place, Runax has become 
one of those big ones. So it's been a fantastic journey. Yeah, one of those premier events, that's for sure. It's pretty much, I think really it's between you and CanCon for the big premier events at the moment. Obviously not the last few years because CanCon's been on the sideline, but I'm sure next year uh, it'll be very a hot topic with both you two both up and running. Oh, um, yeah, it'll be great. And there's a few, like you see um, Vic GT's picked back up against mm. Sydney GT's. I think they're going, I think uh, Anthony's going for some outrageous number next year. I don't know exactly what, but I'm sure he's planning a big, uh, big event next year as well. So it's good to see all the, all the familiar faces kind of getting back up and, and yeah. running those big events again. It's great. And it's great to see that the scene hasn't really died back either. Oh, absolutely, man. There's still that, there's, you know, there's a, definitely a demand for events at the moment. So it's good. And even we really haven't lost any players either. Like a few sort of people fell away, but I think people instantly replaced them. Um, so we yeah. picked up hobbies over the COVID season. And that's if that's if people didn't come back in the first place. Like I know a lot of guys took a bit of a break, mm-hmm. and then um, and then you know whether it be a new army coming out or a new edition coming out, and it just drags them straight back in. So it's been a it's been a positive time for the game. I think there's been a lot of growth. Yep. Yeah, it's massive. It's good to see as well. Absolutely. What was the reason behind you starting a teams format tournament? So. <laughs> I think I I think I told this sto- I don't know who I've told this story to. Um, but I was talking to a good friend of mine, Blake Kerwick, who is one of the best hobbyists in Australia. And um I was voicing my frustration that Australia didn't have any any unique events. It was all mm-hmm. I'm not sorry, I shouldn't say that they don't have unique events. I that there was no there was no events outside of singles. Yeah. Right? Like every tournament was a singles tournament. And I'm like It'd be cool to have, you know, a, a team format where you can go with your mates and and take it to other people. And there's the dynamic of building your building your team with different allegiances, and then having counters and matching up, you know, the matchup process and everything that goes with that. And so I was voicing my frustration to him one day, and he's like, "Man, why don't you do it? Like, if you feel strongly about it, do something about it and be the." be the solution, not part of the problem kind of thing. <laughs> um, and so I was like, well, maybe I will. And so I kind of went home and had a bit of a think about it. And I ran some numbers and asked around of who would actually be interested. And everyone that I talked to was like, yeah, I'd love to go to a team's event. And so I'm like, well, okay, there's obviously, you know, obviously I'm not the only one that feels this way. And so I started planning and I got a team around me of people who were, you know, supportive of what i was doing and uh mm-hmm. and that started at all the first time we held it was in 2018 and we had i think 14 teams and even even the first one we had people from victoria we had people from sydney adelaide like people people committed pretty hard to an event that had no no, like I hadn't run events before. Mm-hmm. I'd had I'd had the blog and I'd had, you know, the I'd been making content for a while. So I think people kind of were aware of me. Um, but I hadn't I didn't have a name as like a TO or anything like that. So a few people took a bit of a gamble and spent a fair bit of money to to catch flights and buy accommodation and attend. And luckily we'd uh that first year my biggest focus was making sure that I had everything hundred percent sorted before the event 
so that on the day I didn't have anything to stress about. And that's pretty much how it unfolded on the day. It's, you know, all that, all that planning ahead of time and the team that I had around me meant that it was a really smooth event. And mm-hmm. I think from there, it just kind of grew. Um, we had uh, a venue that could expand the space that we could rent. Uh, we had a community that was hungry for events that were something different because it was one of those things um, being a team event, it was enough of a difference to singles events that people who were either burnt out on tournaments or didn't want to attend tournaments, they were like, oh, well, I'll be there with three of my friends. So even if I get trashed, you know, five games out of five, I'll still be there with my friends. So I'll go and hang out with them and, you know, have a good weekend, make a bit of a weekend of it with mates. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I've been I've been stoked that it's turned into what it has, um, which has become a real community event and it's very hobby-oriented. It's got the right atmosphere and the right attitude from all the players who are just there to have fun and enjoy themselves and celebrate the game. Yep. It seems like it's definitely a much more welcoming environment because you've also got the peer pressure of your friends being like, come join my team, come play. And the Iraqs the relaxed environment of it just being a team's event where there's not as much pressure on you as an individual. Yeah. And I, I think there's also like, I know that there's a good, you're always going to have, you know, 40% of teams, let's say I'm just picking numbers, but you'll have 40% of teams who are going and they're going to compete and they're going to win and they want to hit that podium. Yeah. But then you'll have 40% at the other end of the scale who are purely there to enjoy themselves, to have fun, to show off the hobby. They might be there purely for hobby prizes, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that, you know, there are guys who only come for hobby and they'll, the games are a bonus on top. You know, they're yep. gunning for those hobby prizes because that's a focus that I, I like to put a fair bit of focus uh, on hobby and painting and such with prize support. Um, and so that's something that's always been a focus because that's a priority of mine in the hobby. And I've just reflected that onto my event basically. And so there is, it does draw a crowd that would not usually go to a hyper competitive event. And there, yeah, you meet people that you would otherwise not meet, and they're fantastic. Everyone that I've met yeah. so far, um, all these, I'll have people out of nowhere who I've never even heard of, they'll come to the event and they turn out to just be the best, you know, like they're really cool, cool guys and girls, and, and they're there for a good time and they enjoy themselves. And that's, at the end of the day, that's I'm pretty happy with that if that's what they get out of it. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely a, a great thing to hear as well because mm-hmm. I've noticed in the hobby in general, there's no issues in our scene at all from what I've seen being in the tournaments the last sort of two and a half, three years. Um, I think we've definitely got a great tournament scene and then the teams just lends to it even more because you're interacting with four other people at the start. So yeah, you, you, you're seeing more people that you wouldn't necessarily see at a normal tournament because you normally just pair up with the one person you're versing against and then go off to your own table. Uh, That's whereas it. In the teams, you've got the four people you've got to converse, and you're all throwing jabs like, oh, "I'm going to verse you," <laughs> and it turns out you don't verse each other at all. Yeah, stuff like that, and then you've got the good matchups or the bad matchups. So you know, if you've got a bad matchup, you can sort of have a bit more fun with it, or if you've got a good matchup, you've got different ways to play the game. Uh, Absolutely, uh, just lends itself to a whole different dynamic of a tournament. That's the thing, and there is that appeal. Like it's got a bit of 
it's got a bit of pre-game strategy to it and there's always a bit of a bit of banter and a bit of sling and shit when people are kind of lining up and getting ready to find out who they're actually facing. So yep. that's one of my favorite parts is watching like at the start of each round, I'll usually find a matchup and just kind of lurk and just watch <laughs> it all unfold, you know, and it's it's always a blast, you know, everyone yep. has fun and and it's uh yeah, it's an experience that we haven't really had an abundance of in Australia in regards to teams. So it's a, yeah, it's a privilege to be able to kind of put that mm-hmm. on and have people experience it. Would you know, would you, could you think of a reason why Australia hasn't really gone outside of the singles tournament besides your event? Um, I think, I think it's one of those things where the age of Sigma community is, I mean, I, I'm sure it's, it's it, yeah, that's an excellent question because I was about to say, <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say it's because the Age of Sigma community is still quite young. But okay. you look at other parts of the world and teams is a really common format. For example, England, you've got Six Nations, you've got Worlds. Like it's a really yep. common format. Uh, in Australia, I think it comes down to, I think it comes down to distance. Yeah. Uh, because what what having team like I'm I'm talking specifically about Runax in this situation, where there is one team event a year, everyone kind of makes a priority and goes, okay, yeah, that's mm-hmm. worth traveling for. Uh, and I think eventually it will get to the point where there is, I think it's at the point now, honestly, where you could run more team events throughout the year and they would still be wildly popular. Yep. I think it's taken this long for Australia to really build momentum behind team events uh, because it does require a bit of organisation. If you're travelling with four friends, let's say you've got four guys from Victoria, which is right down, for anyone who's not in Australia, Victoria's right down the the bottom, right? (laughs) And we're about Brisbane, where we live, is about halfway up the eastern seaboard, right? That's like a two-day flat-out drive, driving 10 hours, 12 hours a day. Yeah. Or you can fly, but then you're paying tickets for four guys. It's, you know, there, there are significant costs in getting anywhere in Australia, really, unless you're willing to drive. And at the, with petrol prices, what they are at the moment, even that's unrealistic. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, think it, I think it has something to do with distance. I think it's also one of the things where, because we've had COVID, We've been starved of any events. Okay. And I think there's enough demand for people. Like I know in Brisbane, people will go to literally any event that is on. They're like, (laughs) I just want to play. You know what I mean? They're not having to pick and choose um, of what events they go to and what they don't. They're just, everyone's just happy to be playing, happy to be going to any event that's on. Um, And so I think in the next few years, I think we will see teams expand in australia Mm -hmm. uh we've already got a really strong club culture which is good and i think that lends itself naturally to teams uh because you can you know a club can send their four best players or they can send an a team and a b team and then they can you know see how they go and there's that into there's that that rivalry within the club to see who can actually you know rep the best and all that kind Mm. of thing so yeah i don't know I don't know why it hasn't picked up more than it has because it's such a great format. I hope, 
I hope that it's not a case of people thinking that if someone else runs a team event in Australia that they're stepping on my toes because that is okay. not the case at all. Um, I would love to play in a team event. That's, that's yep. one of my <laughs> that's your issues. Isn't it? Yeah. I'd love to play it. And the only one that is on is the one that I run. So if someone else wants to run a team event, I'd, I'd happily support them and, and get behind them. So, yeah, it's certainly not anything anything in that regard of wanting monopoly of the team market or anything. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely think it's big enough where it's not going to water down the event either. Um, yeah. I we've think, got enough people yeah. here that you're going to sustain both tournaments and you'll get enough people flying out of state to come to the tournament that you're not oh, going to absolutely. have Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I don't think that's the pro. I don't think that's a challenge at all. I would happily travel for a, for to play in a team event. Um, you know, I don't think there's there's certainly not too many team. Of, I mean, there's one team event, so there's <laughs> definitely not too many. Um, yeah, but yeah, I I don't think that uh, I don't think there's a worry about oversaturating the market at this stage. Okay, not at all. What what sort of challenges have you had with running a teams event? Oh gosh, what sort of challenges? <laughs> I guess probably the most probably the most challenging part about running a team event is the the last the two weeks leading up to the event are always a scramble um, because my my job as a tournament organizer is to make sure that everyone shows up everyone enjoys themselves everyone gets five games right mm-hmm. so in those two weeks you have people drop out you have people who realize that they've double booked or, you know, you have any number of reasons. Um, and there's always that mad scramble to find players to replace them who yep. will fit into that team well, who don't double up on armies that are already in the team. Uh, so there's always there's always a mad rush then. Um, but everyone's, everyone's usually pretty good. There's that much... I guess there's that much build-up and that much effort put in by teams to organise themselves. That's a pretty rare occurrence now. Okay. Um, and if it is, if it does happen, usually that team has a backup anyway, uh, mm-hmm. or they have another player that they can call on to kind of fill the gap. So that's become more and more common for teams to sort themselves out. But there is always that mad scramble where someone's like, "Hey, man, we're a player short, and it's two days until the event." And I rattling through my phone book as quick as I can to try and find a find a replacement. So that's yep. probably the biggest challenge. Um, yeah, it's just that that two weeks of mild panic, just getting all that sorted. Because mm-hmm. I suppose it's not like a normal tournament where if one person drops, that's fine. Because you're going to lose your your generic ten percent of drops out of a tournament. So that's twelve ish people, I suppose. Yeah. And that could be out of multiple teams. And then if multiple teams are three people, well, then that drastically affects their whole experience. Because yeah, it's absolutely. not just one random person dropping out. It's a team missing their, their fourth person. Yeah. Um, the, one, the, the one little anomaly there, though, that I've noticed is that with teams, like you'll have the occasional player drop out, but for the most part, the attrition rate compared to a singles event is nowhere near as high. Okay. Um, I think that's because players don't want to let their friends down or don't want to stitch up their mates, and so they yep. will just they'll just commit and they'll show up and they'll play their five games. And I hope that they enjoy. You know, I hope that they enjoy mm-hmm. themselves. 
but the yeah the attrition rate is surprisingly low compared to single events yeah okay that's good then would you have any if someone wanted to run a team's tournament would you have any tips for sorting out that fourth player for a team or what would you be um, your recommendation there in terms of that if someone was planning a team event i think it's always handy having a few players or friends up your sleeve who are not part of a team already okay and who are willing to just show up and hang out at the event anyway uh and who are willing to play whatever army they have to i know that's a big ask but like those people are rare i i I say that like they're a dime a dozen, but they are <laughs> they are the heroes of the community, those people who are willing to just make sure that the event goes smoothly and that everyone has a good time. Yep. Uh, I think those those people don't get enough recognition. So I think the having a few people up your sleeve and um and then yeah, just keeping up open lines of communication with all of the teams that are attending and that usually gives you a pretty good indicator if a team is 100% fully committed no matter what, or if there's a chance you might need someone, you can kind of ask those questions of players before the night, before the event kind of thing. So I think a lot of it comes into uh, preparation and communication. Yeah, okay. Yeah, the the mainstays of generally any tournament, I think. (laughs) Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. Have you had issues? Because I know it's probably a little bit of a different case in terms of teams, and it's not necessarily the amount of people because they're all in groups of four. But have you had issues with sort of have, being able to move that amount of people and those amount of teams around an event? Uh, not really. Uh, do you mean like the logistics of actually um, like players getting to their tables and stuff like that? Is that what you but mean? Just like all just players in general getting them set up, having everything like ready to go, and then also just like having a venue suitable for a team's environment? Yeah, okay. Um, so the the venue that I hold it at is a... Uh, it's, called, it's a place called Fitzy's. It's a big sports bar. And they have a massive big uh, function room that, that, they, uh, that they rent out to me every year. And that was a very specific choice because it's large. It's large enough that you can host all the teams and still have a bit of space. You still have tables around the outside of the room for people to drop their bags and their cases and display boards and such. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wouldn't say that it's the layout that I do is I have tables in rows of four so that you go, oh, I'm in this matchup. This is my row. And mm-hmm. then I'll, it won't be scattered. It won't be in any weird layouts. It'll be everything is in rows. And that just makes it so much easier. So instead of going these two players on table one, these two players on table two, so on and so forth, it's Mm -hmm. this team and this team are on row five. This team and this team are on row 10. And then from that point on, all the teams are, you know, responsible enough and, and motivated enough that they just sort themselves out. And um, yeah, I've never had an issue with, with, venue or space or anything like that the venue that i okay. use is great and i think that's part of what makes the event what it is um anyone who went to there was a an infamous event a few years ago uh the event itself like the tournament was run really well but yep. it was part of a larger event in brisbane and uh and we basically got stuck in a tin shed with no aircon 
and there was probably <laughs> 40k and Age of Sigma were both in the one shed, and mm-hmm. it was like 40 degrees, and it was one of the worst experiences of my <laughs> hobby life. Uh, so I think it's pretty safe to say that the venue for any event makes or breaks it, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm very fortunate. I did a lot of groundwork finding a venue that would meet my needs. Yeah. Um, Cause it's one of those things, you know, in everyday life, you're not really looking at venues. Like you don't know really where to start. Um, and so I, I spent a bit of time researching and I had a few weekends where I was driving around Brisbane trying to find the right one. And this one had enough space and, and uh, it was well air conditioned, well lit. And I just thought, yep, this is the one I'm not going to be able to outgrow this for quite some time. So, okay. If you had a set purpose for your venue when you tried to organize it then. Absolutely. Yeah. And I suppose it's sort of a, maybe not a given thing, but do you look at teams as being 60 individual, so 60 sort of players rather than seeing it as, or however many teams go, do you see the teams as a, as a player rather than groups of. Yeah. So from a logistical side and from a tournament organizer matchup side of things, it's the equivalent. There's a little bit of complexity to it, but it's the equivalent to running like 120 players is equivalent to running a 30 man event. Okay. So it's on the day. That's what I'm. That's what I was referring to when I was talking about making sure that everything is sorted and fixed and organized ahead of time. And then on the day, it's like running a 30 man event, which takes yep. a lot of the pressure off if you've done that groundwork. Mm. So, yeah, that's um. That plays a big part of it. Uh, it is it is like running a, a small tournament that you would go to on the weekend, <laughs> which is crazy to somewhat say, like that. Like, <laughs> turned into this massive, uh, turned into this massive event that it's that it's quite simple to run in that regard. Yeah, and then because oh, I was listening to a podcast and he was talking about that when he was trying to organise the Marvel Crisis Protocol teams, he's like, I just look at it as single individual people instead of the hundred and twenty or whatever it was. Yeah, um, I thought that was quite an interesting take. Yeah, that's um, and it makes the way a lot of sense. <laughs> absolutely, it's the way to do it. Yeah, and with the the pairings and stuff like that, how do you go about managing and getting that set up for teams? So this was another thing that I usually put into the players pack. And I'll, I'll send out a message to all the captains because how I do it is leading up to the event, the captain is my point of contact for every team. Okay. So I'm, I'm not – I'm only relaying information to the captain and then the captains can relay it to the rest of their team because they want, everyone has their group <laughs> – yeah, everyone has their group chats for their teams. Like I don't need, yep. to, I don't need to chat to every single player. Um, but basically I'll lay out the matchup process to the teams in the players pack. Mm -hmm. And then I'll touch base with all the captains, uh, probably two days ahead of the event, just to confirm that they understand how the matchup process works and that they fully understand how it goes, because that means it, it takes that process from being like 10 or 15 minutes of trying to work out who's playing who to I've seen matchups in the space of 20 seconds, you know, where they go, yep, this I'm throwing this list out. You know, mm-hmm. there'll be different different lists put forward. And then in the space of 20 seconds, they're like, all right, sweet, that's done. Let's start yep. gaming, you know. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's one of the things. A little bit of responsibility is put on the captains in that regard to know what they're doing. 
but again, it's a team event. That's kind of the the whole point. So I don't think yep. anyone resents that as a, as a captain. That's part of the fun. So yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll be experiencing that this year if we can get a ticket. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> so it'd be interesting to see. Absolutely. And then what about yeah? And what about sort of stuff like do you put the onus on the captains to organise lists, or do you have like a card system? How, how have you found the easiest way to sort out pairings? on the bulk end rather than just the individual basis. Yeah, so usually what I'll do is I'll tell I'll tell each captain to bring a hard copy of all of their lists so that the captain will have four printed copies like he'll have a copy of the four army lists in his team and he'll use those army lists in the matchup process so that when he puts that list on the table the opponent can go okay, he's running Iron Jaws, he's running them in Iron Suns. He's got one crusher, two crushers. He's got 15 pigs, whatever the list may be. So that at a glance, you can go, oh, all right, I roughly understand what that army's going to do. Mm-hmm. Here's my response. And okay. so, yeah, there is a bit of responsibility put on the captains to have themselves organized. Um, because at the end of the day, like it's, <laughs> it's kind of one of those things where you're delegating some of the TO stuff to the players. Yep. Um, but it's to their benefit because basically if you have a well-organized captain, your team, uh, I'm trying to think of how to say it. If you have a well-organized captain, then the only thing that can let your team down is gameplay. You know yeah, what I mean? Okay. Mm-hmm. Like you're always yep. going to have bad matchups, but you're never going to have, if your captain's organized, he's never going to go, oh, I don't know what to do. Uh, I'll throw this list into that. I don't know what that army does. Mm-hmm. And then it turns into a disaster. So, yeah, there's always there's always a little bit of responsibility, but I don't think it's more than a player would have on a uh, on, at a singles event. You know, yeah. Like there's probably a little bit more control that captains have rather than an individual player playing at singles because you can manipulate those matchups a little bit. Yep. And so, was this your first attempt at doing the system, and you struck gold, or have you tried other attempts in the past? Ah, uh, no. This is. <laughs> Do you mean with Brunax? <laughs> yeah, w- w- in regards to like organizing the tournaments with the pairings and stuff like that, and the captain set up and all that sort of stuff. Uh, no, that's pretty much this. If you compare 2018 to 2022, it's basically the same system. Okay. Um, so a tried and true system then. Tried and true. There's always things that, you know, I learn from every event and I take notes after every event. Mm-hmm. And they're things that I carry over to the next year to make sure that. You know, if if I make a mistake one year or something, you know, raises its head as being a little bit of a problem, that that's not a problem the next year that I've addressed that and that it's it's uh, resolved and hopefully makes for a smoother player experience. Because okay. at the end of the day, as, as a TO, you're selling an experience to players and anything that you can do to improve that experience is something that's worth putting the effort into, you know? Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, so it's one and of those things. the benefits always... for it as well. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And that's the thing. It's like if you, and this goes for any TR, I guess, if you're actively always trying to improve your event and people can see that consistently year after year, it's one of those things where people will go, oh, okay, well, you know, they can, they, everyone, they see the work that goes into it. Like players are not, I think there's some players that are probably a little bit ignorant to it. Mm-hmm. In, in how much work goes in behind the scenes. But the vast majority of the community is well aware how much work 
all the Australian TOs put in. You know, yes. I think you attend any event and you can see the writing on the wall with how organised it is, how well the terrain's organised, how smoothly the day runs. You can you can see how much work goes into it. So, yep, you'll definitely notice a difference between someone that's put in the effort and someone that's just throwing something together last minute as well. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And how do you um, sort of deal with the issues that come up with it being a team tournament? When you've got a team where there's three people or maybe even two people in a team, what happens in that case? Um, we've been fortunate that we've never had a team of two. Okay. Um, we've always <laughs> managed to have at least three, which is good. Yep. And usually it's one of those unfortunate things where if you have a team of three and a team of four, one of the four players is going to be sitting out, basically. Yeah, okay. And usually they'll just get a flat win. Like they'll get a 20-0 win for that because, you know, if someone doesn't show up for their match, well, that counts as a forfeit basically. Yep. Uh, it also motivates people to to kind of show up and make sure that they're on time. What it also does though is because of the scoring system that I use, if you get if you get three major wins with all uh, – in the past it's been secondaries and now we have battle tactics. Um, but if you get three major wins – you can afford – sorry, I just got myself in the leg. Um, you can afford to throw one player under the bus for a zero and still max the round, right? Mm-hmm. That is possible. Um, and what we had last year was we had a team, I believe it was Nick Cambridge, James Lynch, and Gemma Shepard. Yep. And they didn't have a fourth player. <laughs> and they ended up, I think, day two, they were playing game four and they were on the top table because all three of them had like convincingly won every game all of day one uh, and just crushed their way to the top. Yeah. And they ended up getting muscled out at the end, but they were they were in the mix. Yes, it was crazy to see from them as well. Absolutely <laughs> yeah. wild. I think everyone was cheering for them for that case. I think everyone was. Part of, part of me was like, it would have been awesome to see them go all the way. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was, it was one of those things. It's, it's, Unfortunate in a team event where sometimes you have to go too bad, so sad, you know, mm-hmm. like there's not there's not four players here, like someone's got to sit out and someone's got to take an L. Um yep. but that's also that also I've found plays into the culture where players don't want to let their mates down mm-hmm. and they will show up and they will be on time and they you know, because they're all in it together and they all want to either succeed or fail together. And so it's very rare that, like, we've never had a team get down to two players, which is a okay. blessing. And the teams that have gone down to three players, they've taken it on the chin and they know what, you know, there's no nasty surprises or feel-bads or anything like that. Yep. Because a lot of the time, the buy player, whoever ends up without a, a without an opponent, they'll end up wandering around the event, checking out armies, having a chat with everyone and kind of taking some time out from what is – a pretty busy weekend at the end of it. So mm-hmm. yeah, I've, I've not had any feedback that that's been a bad thing. Obviously everyone wants to play five games, but it's rare that a player would miss out on more than one game over the weekend because of okay. that. And I suppose it's a thing where you set expectations and you've set it in the players pack to say, this is what's happening. So people are either aware because they've read the players pack or unaware because they've not read it and that's on them anyway. Yeah, exactly. I think that comes back to, uh, we were talking earlier about the culture of the event and the effort that's gone into 
building that culture to be something that's healthy and positive. And, um, and I think that's part of it, you know, like all the players who have attended so far have been in the right mindset. They've all come with the right goals and motivations. And, you know, even if you have a team of, a team of, um, you know, narrative players against some of the top ranked players in the nation, they're still enjoying themselves and they're still having fun because of what the event is and, and why they're there for it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I've been very fortunate in that regard that everyone's kind of come into it with the right attitude. Yep. And you've just set up as a four-man team event. Hey, you haven't sort of thrown in captains or anything like that to, to no, add into so the I've mix? Kept it, I've kept it as four just to keep it clean. Um, mm-hmm. You go, right, your team is a is a, a like you have a captain and three, I guess, players under him. And they're mm-hmm. all they're all players. Like there's not really any coaches or anything like that. Um, particularly in the last couple of years, that's been a big thing, obviously, with venues and capacity being limited by the world that we live in. You can't necessarily have people wandering around that don't absolutely have to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so yeah, we've just kept it to four. We haven't included coaches because yeah, I mean, that's pretty much the reason. It's been a space thing more than anything. Okay. Uh, we don't want to limit, you know, if you if you went, yep, every player bring a coach, well, then you're looking at dropping three or four teams out of the entire event just to fit those people in. So mm-hmm. it's, it's one of those things I don't really see the reward, like the risk-reward there to, to introduce coaches is – I think detrimental to the rest of the community for the sake of a few spectators at the yeah. end of it, you know. So, yep, yeah, it was just the 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 part where you said at the end where the person's walking around if they've got to buy. I'm like, oh, what? Who else walks around a tournament? Just like I'm like, oh, there's coaches as well because obviously some people have uh, yeah. watched the world's event where they had coaches and massage yeah. staff and and um, drink runners and everything else. So yeah. I thought, I'd, I'd, yeah. No, I don't think it's. I don't think. Uh, I don't think Runax has quite hit the point where we have uh, <laughs> drink runners and such yet. <laughs> yeah. And then, have you had any issues with teams being three people outside of just like the matchups and the pairings? Say with like money issues, like because I know everyone, you've got to buy a bulk set of tickets. Yeah. Um, and then, like trying to, because people probably try and put the onus on you to find that third or fourth player. Whatever sort of issues have you had around that? Um. That's come up a couple of times, but it's usually one of the, like, there's a degree of understanding, you know, we sell tickets as a four-man bundle. Mm. Um, so that's the the pretext, uh, the pretense is set pretty early on that you buy a four-man ticket and that entitles you to bring four players. Um, I do, like, don't get me wrong, I try my hardest to make sure that every team has four players because I don't want to detract from anyone's experience. I want people to enjoy themselves and enjoy the experience how it's meant to be, which is with four players. Um, but I've not had anyone, like I've not had anyone kind of hit me up and be like, hey, we want quarter of our ticket refunded because we only have three players or anything like that. Yeah. I think there's, you know, most of the, again, most of the financial side of things within teams is dealt with with that team. Okay. So like, you know, you'll have a captain or whoever's buying the ticket. They'll buy it from me and then I'll leave it up to them to collect money from their teammates. You know, I'm not uh, not getting into the microtransactions of it all. But, yep. <laughs> um, 
but yeah, usually it's 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 usually a pretty seamless process. Um, right. I can't think of anything off the top of my head where someone's been unhappy with with how it all unfolds. Usually, a mercenary with mercenaries, like let's say you have a three man team, and I find a player for them, it's neither here nor there. I've had teams that have said, "Yep, we'll cover the cost if you can find us a player." I've had other teams go, "Hey man, can you chip in for your quarter?" And people just go with the flow and work it out amongst themselves. And I've never had anyone go, you know, there's never been a scene or anything about it, which is good. Okay. I think everyone's pretty responsible in that regard. Well, that's good to hear that 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 there seems to be a, a full sort of camaraderie set up in regards to to tickets and mercenaries and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. And then how do you go about sort of doing like prizes and awards and stuff like that for a team setup? So the only actual team awards that I hand out are mm-hmm. first, second, third. So you have your podium, you have your wooden spoon, and you have a prize called Not the Worst, which is second last. Um, <laughs> so they're, the, they're kind of the ranked uh, prizes. Mm-hmm. And then from there, there are individual, I guess, achievement awards. And these are all tracked with... Um, tournament results and stuff throughout the weekend. So, for example, last GHB was a big focus on monsters. So there was a prize for the person who could kill the most monsters over the weekend, and there was a little tracker in the app where they could keep track of that. And and whoever ended up with the highest number, they got to come up and they got a prize. Um, There was one for keeping all your monsters alive. There was one for killing the most heroes. Like, I just come up, like, I basically come up with, prizes that are achievable outside of your team doing really well mm-hmm. so that if you have three guys that are there for painting and one guy who wants to challenge himself there's still motivations for them to be playing their games and trying to achieve stuff and there's doozy prizes as well like one of them i think was uh you know, there was an award for the person who lost the most heroes over the weekend. Yes. And it was some poor guy that just got butchered in every single game, but he got to come <laughs> up front and get an award, you know? Yeah. Um, and so it's it's making sure that there's, yeah, the only real team awards are for the top three and the bottom two. Okay. But then all the rest are individuals. And I try and make as many of those individual awards achievable for all different demographics within the event. I think so it's a cool a, way to go about it for sure. Yeah. So there's a ton of um, painting prizes. There's a ton of uh, like game achievement prizes, whether they're good achievements or bad ones. <laughs> uh, and then on top of that, pretty much, pretty much every dollar that doesn't get spent on, you know, getting the event set up and making sure that it's going to run. Basically, the night before, I'll go down to my local hobby store. And I'll dump whatever cash I have left from the event straight over the counter. And then it's just a random number generator and people can come up and pick a prize off the table. And last year we had like, you know, we had some big battle forces and we had some Bellacores and all sorts. And that goes all the way down to a couple of little clean packs. But it means that everyone is always in the mix to win something, Mm -hmm. Um, which I think builds on that, that vibe and that 
oh, I can't believe I just used the word vibe. It builds <laughs> on that that culture and that atmosphere that I've been trying to build. And I think I think as a community we've done it in that, you know, everyone's there for a good time to celebrate the hobby. And everyone's aside from those ranked prizes, everyone's in the mix to win something, you know? Mm-hmm. Um there's there's prizes for there there for the guys who do want to you know, go play nails, Warhammer and, and play cutthroat lists and try and crush their opponents. And then there's prizes for everyone else who's just having to go or they'll pick a random prize. This happens every time. There's a guy called Josh Carroll. And um, <laughs> and I'll announce all the novelty prizes, usually before list submission. And he'll basically pick a prize and he'll write and build and paint an entire list specifically to win that prize. Um, and there are, as it's gone on and it's become more commonplace, that that demographic of people who are building their list to win those prizes has increased. So <laughs> I think that, that says a lot for the community in that they're like, you know, not many people are taking it too seriously. Everyone's happy to have a good laugh and and to run crazy off the wall lists and and enjoy themselves. Yeah, I think being able to pick the individual out of the team. Um, definitely sets it up above there. Like, just not being everything's awarded for teams and based on how your team went or how poor your team went. Yeah, having absolutely. these individual prizes just makes it fun for those people that want to enjoy that aspect of it all. And yeah, it could be definitely. competitive or narrative or hobbyish. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's always been the goal. Like, I wanted that to be because I didn't want, we've had a few, a few instances, and Patrick Carter won't mind me sharing this story, but he was a, t- he was a member of a team. And he may have overindulged in uh, in some alcoholic beverages, but that was <laughs> and so he he ended up forfeiting a game. But it wasn't to the detriment of his team because they were all still playing for prizes, and you know, like mm-hmm. it didn't ruin their weekend because he had a few too many beers, you know. And that's yep. what you want. You don't want anyone to come away with a a bad taste in their mouth or a weekend that they didn't enjoy because if they didn't enjoy the weekend because of how it was set up, then that's something that's on me, you know, like my responsibility Mm -hmm. is to create an event that is angled towards people enjoying themselves, you know? Yep. How do you go about doing hobby stuff out of a large event like this where it's set up as a team space? Oh, dude, this is probably the hardest part of, (laughs) of the actual event on the day is so last year, what did I say last year? I had basically, I said on day one, I'm going to go around and I'll give 10, 10, 10 players, individual players, a tap on the shoulder and I'll give them a certificate to say that they're one of the hobby nominees, right? Mm-hmm. And then during the lunchtime on the second day, they would set their armies up and they would be the armies that players vote on, that judges look at, so on and so forth. Yeah, the amount of pressure now um, to pick those—not even, not even picking like the top three, because usually there'll be there'll be some absolute freak, skillful painted army. Okay, I'm going to use James Lynch as an example. (laughs) The classic for the Brisbane scene. Oh yeah, I'll use James Lynch as an example for anyone who's outside of of um, Brisbane or Australia, really. James Lynch is an incredibly talented painter, right? Usually if he shows up at an event, the competition turns into who's getting second place, okay? 
So for that regard, I'm like, okay, he's bought a new army that he hasn't taken to any other events. He's going to get a nomination because he's, his work is incredible, right? But then just mm-hmm. under that level of skill, and like I'm not saying that he's an auto win because he's not. Like the, the skill level in the community is just growing exponentially. But that 10-man cutoff was one of the hardest things I've had to do because you have armies that at any other event would have taken best painted and you're putting them in a pool that is very hobby-oriented, that draws people who are specifically there for painting prizes and you go, right, here's, you know, some of the best in the nation and it's, it's, it's always a challenge and there's always... It's, it's one of the harsh realities of an event that size is you're always going to have someone who's, you know, who is disappointed because they didn't make the cut, you know, and that's that's a really hard thing as a TO because, and for me especially, because I'm like painting and hobby is a huge part of why I'm in the community, right? Like that's a large part of my own hobby is purely painting and, and converting and all that kind of thing. And so knowing how much work goes into every single army that is at that event and then having to say, hey, we've only got X number of spaces on the display table because, again, this comes into space being an issue. Um, And that's why we run it that way is so that we can go, okay, you don't want to miss, you don't want to miss an incredible army because it was in the back back corner. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so we do that manually now. We go around... And this is something that we've learned from past years is I'll go around and I'll go, right, here are the 10 armies that I think are the absolute cream of the crop. Yep. And then the guys get an opportunity to then set up their display boards, you know, and you have a row of armies that are just incredible. But in the back of your head, you know that there's another 10 armies out or another 20 or however many. There's another bunch of armies that deserve a spot on that table just as much. And that's the hardest part is yeah, if okay. you could i would have you know 50 percent of the armies on that table but it's <laughs> just just from a logistical standpoint it's um it's something you have to draw a line somewhere and that's that's a really difficult thing to do yeah well i heard last year it was 11 people because some schmuck put his army on the table and <laughs> who would have who <laughs> done that <to> him? <laughs> definitely not me <laughs> no there were actually a few last year i think it got up to 13 or 14 last year because of this yeah because of this exact <laughs> thing not because they were putting their armies there but because i was like man that's a sick army i can't leave that off the table with a clear conscience and so we ended yep. up just making it happen and and i ended up getting a couple of certificates made after the fact um just so that we could recognize and acknowledge the people who had put in an immense amount of work so mm-hmm. it, it was a tough yeah it's one of those things I would love it to be more than 10 or 15 or whatever. I'd love to have enough room to showcase everyone's armies because like at the end of the day, painting an entire 2000 point army with terrain or with a summoning pool or with a display board, whatever it is, even if it's just your 2000 points, like that's an achievement in itself. And I think that's underappreciated. I think, I think Mm -hmm. there's so much work that goes into the hobby before you see the tabletop and I, that's one of the reasons there's such a focus on hobbyists because that's where you spend 90% of your time is on that 
is on that grind, getting the army ready for the event, not at the event itself kind of thing. So, yeah, I, I, I wish there was – I think there will be more nomination spots this year because, again, okay. that's something that we learned from last year is we don't have enough. <laughs> so <laughs> we will be making sure that there are more this year uh, so that more people can yep. kind of get their, get their work recognised and acknowledged I suppose you could set up a like a, a category system of some sort as well. Yeah, that's true, and that's something that we're kind of that I'm that I'm bouncing around in my head at the moment, whether that's uh, practical and whether we can mm-hmm. make that happen. Because yeah, you're right. That is, you know, you have dioramas and armies on parade, and you have armies that are maybe not painted as as well as others, but the creativity behind them is definitely there, and it's. It's like how long's a piece yep. of string? How do you recognize and acknowledge, <laughs> you know, the work that someone's put in when that work is in different forms? So that's mm. that's always a challenge at events, and it's always something that I kind of weighs heavily on me because I know that mm-hmm. you know there's always, no matter where you draw the line, the person that's on the wrong side of the line in that last spot is always going to be disappointed. So it's, it's a tough challenge. Yeah. Yeah, especially with that amount of people. Oh, yeah. The team's format itself, it sort of lends to it as well because you get a whole team of people that are there just for the hobby and you've had to pick one or two out of the team and the other two are like, oh, (laughs) that's probably the worst feeling. Yeah, that's exactly right, you know. So it's it's a challenge. Have you got any other unique challenges that you can think of that applies to teams in organising them? Um, That applies to teams. Or what about just organising? Because, I mean, you pretty much only organised a team's event, really, at the start. Or have you organised other events yourself? No. So I, I run okay. one event a year, um, and that is Runax Teams. That's maybe changing next year, but I don't want to mm-hmm. get ahead of myself um, because there's still a lot of planning that's going into some other stuff. But, yeah, that is that is pretty much my only event. So I have the time to kind of invest that my energy yep. into that one alone. Um, but yeah, there's always, there's always challenges with it. Organizing people, making sure that everyone's, you know, making sure that people get there, you know, cause you have people mm-hmm. travel into state and, you know, airlines are a thing that like, oh, yes, people over, so <laughs> that's always yep. something to address, you know? And so there's, but it's also one of the things where, it's also a bit of a challenge and it's a bit of a problem solving thing where a team will call me up and they're like, Hey man, we can't get on our plane. We're not going to be into Brisbane until like 8am. And so yep. we'll, you know, we've had, we've had it before where we've had a van waiting at the airport for a team to run off the plane and grab their armies and throw them in and drive yep. straight to the event. So, you know, I think, um, I think with teams, you have to be willing to put in a bit of, a bit of legwork leading into it to make sure that it all goes okay. smoothly. Cause once everyone's at the event, it pretty much runs itself because of the responsibility that the captains have. As long as you're entering the scores correctly, it pretty much runs yeah, itself. Right, yeah. man. Here's, a, here's an interesting one I thought I thought of. How does, how do you deal with yep. terrain for your tournament? Do you have different densities on boards or is it just set out like a plain age of Sigma casual game or tournament game, like a singles tournament game? Yeah, that's an excellent question. Um, usually, like I was talking about earlier in the episode, we have rows. So two teams will face each other on a row of tables. Now, usually we'll try and have 
in a perfect world, you want one or two line of sight blocking pieces of mm-hmm. terrain on each table. Um, but the tables, you know, there are there are tables that will have a little bit more than that. There are tables that will have a little bit less. Like obviously, um, every set of terrain is a little yep. bit different. And I'm very fortunate that I have people like um, Mick and Gemma from the Failed Charge, and the guys mm. from Brizhammer are very generous with their terrain. Uh, so it's never been an issue where you know we were able to move. God, there was a, there was sorry I'm <laughs> oh, following this. There was an era right at the start of mm-hmm. Age of Sigma, right, where the normal thing in Australia was for a player to show up with their army and to show up with three yes. pieces of terrain. Okay. And they would take that terrain around with them to each table that they played on. The idea being that this would, you know, as the community was growing and as the game was kind of getting on its feet, it would take a little bit of pressure Mm -hmm. off TOs to have, you know, tables and tables and tables worth of terrain. Um, The Queensland community, I'm very fortunate in that we're not in that position anymore where we have to ask players to bring their own terrain. Mm -hmm. Um, because of people like Mick and Gemma, because of people like Brizhammer and myself, like I've got a big collection of terrain now that grows every year. And it means that we can have themed tables. We can have tables that are pretty evenly, you know, the, the terrain's pretty even on both sides of the table. Um, you'll have a variation on that row of tables. So you'll have one that's particularly heavy. There's a lot of mm-hmm. line of sight blocking. You'll have one where there's not much at all, but there's a few big area terrain pieces. Um, we try and give it a bit of variety within the row okay. of tables. So obviously you don't want one row to be, you know, four tables with heaps of line of sight blocking and then the next mm-hmm. row to have none because then that starts skewing, you know, people will get into a team matchup and it's like, well, none of these tables are going to help us at all. Whereas if you mix it up a little bit, and people get lucky or they get the right matchup or they can they can swing a bad matchup in their favor because yep. of the table. Do you have a table set up? Like as in like if your players won, like your first game, are you then put on a certain table or is it up to the, the players later on to decide their tables? Usually, usually it's a roll-off. So the first two matchups in the event, I'll, ex- I'll explain the matchup okay. process that we use, okay? That'll probably make it a lot easier <laughs> to then work out how the tables work. So basically, each captain will put one of their army lists down on the mm-hmm. table, right? At the same time. So those two players will not face each other. Okay. What then happens is let's say you're a captain and you've put an army list on the table. I'll look at the three remaining lists in my hand and I'll put two down to face okay. yours. You're now left with the decision of which of those you take. So you can either go, okay, there's an easy matchup that I know that I can win, but then if I go with this list, well, then that removes that army from the matchup process and I can absorb that to save a bad matchup later on in the matchup process, right? Now, that happens simultaneously. So obviously you've got two players, uh, two two matches being organised at the same time well, then those two players have to go, all right, which tables are we going on? If they both want the same table, they roll off. But if they're happy to play on different tables, like 
usually it's the captain of that of the um, the captain that puts their single list down that gets okay. to decide. But if both captains want the same table, okay. then they just roll no up worries. for it. And eventually it comes to the point where there's only yep. one table left, you know. <laughs> the dregs, the, the two armies that were left over and they got the leftover table. <laughs> that, that's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, cool. I know I've butchered that a little bit. I've got a little graphic that I mm-hmm. usually use for it. And it's like a step-by-step thing. It's much more eloquent than what I just spat <laughs> out of my mouth. And you throw that <laughs> in the player's pack, do you? Uh, yeah, that goes in the player's pack. And I'll I'll send that to all the captains the week before the event as well, just so that they're up to scratch and that no one can turn around and go, oh, I don't yeah. know how this works. Kind yeah, of thing. I, I noticed that last time we played at the, at the teams, there was a few people that did seem confused by it. And in turn, that threw up our matchmaking overall. Um which does make it a struggle yeah. for the team that's prepared to versus the team that's not been followed. Yeah, it does a little bit. Yeah. And that's the, thing. that's the thing. It's like there's a mm. little bit of responsibility on the captains to make sure because it just makes it a, a smoother experience for everyone and it means that everyone's kind of on a level playing field as well. You're not disadvantaged because you don't have your head around yep. the system. And you found that's a pretty sort of tried and true sort of system set up for teams? Yeah, man. Yeah, I, I haven't had any issues with it. Um you know, obviously, it's it's something that we've tweaked over the years as well. We had one year where it was very early on where you roll off and the person who won, basically, it wasn't simultaneous. Okay. So one player would get to drop an army first. And what we found was that that skewed, it skewed the matchup process really hard in favour of the person that won the dice yeah, roll. Yeah, okay. Um, and so we kind of did away with that and did it all simultaneous because then at least everyone's mm-hmm. on an even keel, you know. Um, you're not you're not giving one player, you know, far greater control over the matchup process yep. than the other player. Um, so, yeah, I think that was definitely a positive change. Again, that's one of those things where we did it one year and we learned that that wasn't ideal and we took feedback from players and went, okay, well, let's change that because that's clearly not... You know, it's it's a bit of a negative. It could have been a negative experience mm-hmm. for some. Are people. there any other things like that that you've found that you've had to change from your first sort of few years, and you think you've got them down packed? Yeah, yeah, right. I've got one <laughs> right off the top of my head. So one of the things, and this is something that I've, I will happily take ownership for, uh, is the okay. hobby standard. Right. <laughs> so I've talked a lot about how how much focus there is on hobby and how a lot of people come purely for the hobby. And that is very, very true. Um, But there are also, you know, naturally with any event, you have people who are looking Mm -hmm. to do the bare minimum, right? Now, one year I gave a guy a pass because he had a contractor come to his house to do some work and they accidentally destroyed his fully painted army uh, a week and a half before the event, and so I gave him a, I gave him a pass basically, and said, "Don't worry about the minimum standard. I'd rather you come and play and enjoy the weekend, because you've just had your army annihilated." <laughs> and of course, he ended up playing into one of the yep. hobby teams, and there was a <laughs> there was a little bit of a little bit of back mm-hmm. and forth there. Um, so I went, "All right, that's it. Three color minimum, no exceptions." Yep. Right. And then as if to, <laughs> as if to, you know, prove that my system was not infallible, 
someone showed up last year with it was exactly that it was three color minimum and it was based and it was the bare minimum but because of how <laughs> i'd worded the players pack i tied my hands a little bit with it and so the uh moving forward so this year uh we're adopting a term that games workshop has coined mm-hmm. called battle ready <laughs> you um, might finally curb basically them. <laughs> means yeah yeah i think i think i'm finally going to get them this year <laughs> um so yeah that that'll be the the standard this year it has to be fully painted everything has to actually be painted uh you can't just dry brush an army three different colors and mm-hmm. call it a day um and so yeah that's going to be the standard and the you know i've had criticism in the past that i've been too lenient on people who don't hit that standard um so yeah, moving like this year, for example, we've got a hardline policy on if it's not to the standard, then it's not yep. hitting the table. Um, which I think everyone has plenty of warnings. It's been something that we've been building towards for the last couple of years. So I don't think it's going to surprise no. anybody. Um, but I think it's one of those things. The guys who've been getting away with it probably <laughs> won't get away with it this year. So they'll have to uh, put a yep. little bit of effort in. Yeah, because I think I spoke to Clint. Clint had the same issue, but he, I think he pulled off a model. And I think because he stuck to it, people were like, oh, I don't want to do that. Don't want to be caught out. I think it was a summonable model anyway, so it didn't really matter a whole lot. But the fact that Head stuck to it yeah. and pulled that model off. Yeah, and that's the thing. I think there was a situation There was a situation last year where there was probably an army. And it's again, it's tough because people are paying money. They're coming to an event. They want to play. But then you also have a responsibility to the rest of the players who have put in the effort that they Mm -hmm. will, you know, that everything will be to a certain standard. And when it's not, it's um, it's a tough call to say, hey, mate, you know, pack that 400 point unit away. You're not you're not using it this weekend. That's a that's a tough thing to say to a paying client, I guess, for lack Mm. of a better term, you know. So it's one of those things. There's. As, as the years have gone on, the, the hobby standard has mm-hmm. probably raised and people are getting away with less and less um, in regards to, like, taking the piss. And so I think I think it's at the point now where I don't think, you know, and there is, there is when I've laid out the standard in the players pack, then people don't really have a leg to stand on and I don't think, I've, I mean, I still feel bad about it just because I don't yep. want to ruin anyone's day. But I think it's gotten to the point where it's like, well, we all know where the bar is. If you're not hitting the bar, you know, like you got to step your game yep. up. So yeah, I think this year, hopefully, hopefully it doesn't happen. But if it does happen this year, there'll definitely be um, some models being taken off the table, which is unfortunate. But it's also one of those things. There's a there's a, a bit of a gentleman's agreement with all the attendees that they're all going to adhere to yep. the players back. Yeah, if everyone else does, by that one person. It sort of like highlights that person that they haven't met to the basic minimum standard that everyone else has, because all these people have put all this yeah, effort in, yeah. and you you couldn't do that or get that ready for the tournament. Oh yeah, I mean definitely, and that's the thing. It's like you see, you see the amount of effort that some of the guys put in, and it is ridiculous. Like some of the art that is presented, because that's like everyone talks about it being tournament painting, but it is some of the most artistic stuff you will ever see in your life. And, you know, if you ask most guys at the event, they might not even consider it art, but it's 
It's, it's mm. impressive, man. Like painting miniatures is is a skill, you know. And so I think there's there's one of those things you want to reward the people who put in the effort. You want them to, you know, enjoy their experience as well and not be, not be, you know, setting up their gorgeous army across from some <laughs> some you know base coated plastic. Yeah, it's got three dots of finger yeah. paint on it. <laughs> yeah, no, it just shows respect for everyone else around them as well. It does. And it's a hard, like, that's the thing. It's a hard line to draw. But at the end of the day, that is one of the big focuses of this particular mm. event. And, um, and like, I'll be honest, I've copped a little bit of criticism in the past for not being harsher on the people who yep. were not hitting the bar. And I think that's fair criticism. Like, I don't want to hide behind that or, or you know, pretend like that's not um, something that mm. I've gone easy on. And, but I do think that, you know, that, that era of leniency is probably everyone knows what the event is now. Everyone knows yep. what the standard is now. And I think, I think everyone is kind of on the mm. same page as to what's expected. And I think of if the you've players. got that hard line sort of take on it all as well, it might even force the teammates to put pressure onto that person to get their army done because it also affects them as well. Yeah, Where in a singles, it only affects the person who didn't paint the models. Yeah. And I also think like in the, in the age that we live in now, like, you have things, you have products like contrast paint or, you know, there are, there are quick and easy ways. I mean, look at Rob's yep. Slap Chop campaign, you know, where there's that's one of the easiest ways to paint an army. And you can paint an entire army in a weekend to a very high standard without much in the way of time yeah. or skill. Like Slap Chop is an easy process and I think it's great. I think the more people that, you know, you don't need to be a world-class painter, but if you have a go, it's it's a really rewarding part of the hobby like it's the number one reason that i stayed in the hobby all those years where i wasn't playing much like at the end of at the end of fantasy and through a few editions of 40k i didn't play much but i painted a lot you know and i think now that you have slap chop and you have contrast and and that kind of thing, I think it's uh, more accessible oh, than definitely. it's ever been. It's the, it's the easiest it has ever been to get into all those sort of things. And no one's going to have a go Absolutely. at you for not painting their army amazing. Like, everyone's going to encourage you to get... Like, everyone loves oh, seeing dude. the painted army. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. You know, no one's like, oh, this is a bit dodgy. It's like, yep. well, you had a go, you know, and you see people... Like, there are people who have started their painting journey recently... And the difference between their first model and their 10th model is yep. wild, you know? And I think that's something to be celebrated. Like that, that side of the hobby is, is really impressive. And everyone, everyone painted their first model once, <laughs> yep. you know, like we all know what it's like. <laughs> we've, we've yep. all been there. No one starts off perfect. That's for sure. Um, and I know everyone Absolutely. wants to chase perfection Absolutely. at the start, but it's just not something that everyone, anyone ever gets really. Yeah. No, that's it. That's exactly think, right. Yeah, just be able to get people to go and have a go at it all. And then you got the team around you as well, sort of supporting that and encouraging that. It's great to see as well. Absolutely, man. Yeah, definitely. Is there anything interesting you think would be worth uh, the listeners hearing at the end of the show here? Oh, gosh. As in like shout-outs or about teams? Or just about teams, about organizing your tournament or any useful uh, last-minute information. I think if you're thinking about running a team event, do it because team events are the best fun. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> they're dead set one of the, the, the most enjoyable formats, I think, for the game. Yep. 
Um, so yeah, I think if you if you're on the fence about it, have a go. If you're able to go to a team event, definitely go because they're great fun. Um, and I think if anyone is thinking about it, and I'm not saying that I'm any kind of professional because I'm just making this up as I go. But, um, <laughs> but if you are interested in in you know organizing a team event and you want to have a chat and pick my brain about the the experiences that I've had, I'm always willing to chat. Awesome. I'm sure the fans will greatly appreciate that because that's what I'm trying to get out of the tournament sort of mini series is to beat people to, to feel comfortable asking the people that have run the successful tournaments and the big tournaments because everyone's wanting to grow their community around them and that's the best way to speak with someone that's got experience. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for coming on, Gabe. Did you have any shout-outs no, you wanted to do at the end of the show here? Uh, look, I will do some shameless self-promotion <laughs> um, because... Tickets for Runax Team Championship actually go on sale this coming Friday night. So Friday, 5th of August mm -hmm. at 8 p.m. Tickets go on sale uh, on sigmacentral.com, which is an Australian community site uh, run by Dave down south. Yep. Uh, so that is where you will be able to buy tickets. Uh, and shout out to um, Matt Gammy, who is my... Uh, we run a podcast together called Runax Radio, and he's just one of the most beautiful people on the planet. So if you ever have the pleasure of meeting him, get a selfie and treasure that photo. <laughs> get him to sign it. That's it. That's it. He'll be famous one day. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah, that's pretty much it, though, man. Um, yeah, I appreciate I appreciate you having me on and, and having a chat about it. No, it was awesome. I'm definitely, yeah, trying to get all these people on just to grow our scene. Um because everyone's always wanting to go to tournaments. And as you're well aware, uh, people love teams event. Uh, so Absolutely, if we get more yeah. teams events going on, I'm sure uh, the, the community as a whole will will love that as it for our Australian scene, that's for sure. Yeah, man, absolutely. Awesome. Absolutely. Well, have a good rest of your night, Gabe. It was great to chat to you again. You too, mate. Have it's a good one. a pleasure. You too. Thank you for listening to Unidentified Wargamer. You can find links for the guests located in the description. You can find the show on Twitter at U underscore Wargamer. And I will see you next week.